Paradise people, welcome back to the podcast and our radio show here at Bobo 89.1 FM. I am Bella Rooney, your host, and today we are continuing our new series. Well, not so new now, I guess, oldish series. Well, we're almost at the end. We're doing great. We've had some amazing, amazing, amazing interviews. So our series series, uh, Nature Positive, sponsored by Sustainable K-Man. Each month, we talk to a new guest on a different subject relating to a move towards nature positivity. Last month, we met with the Ministry of Planning, Agriculture, Housing, and Infrastructure's Senior Policy Advisor, Mr. Des Moines Nash, and Planning and Environmental Lawyer, Miss Anna Russell-Nee and chatted about agriculture, sustainable farming, all those incredible, incredibly important things uh, for the future of Cayman and sustainability here. So make sure you go back and check that out. This month, though, we're going to be chatting about species recovery with Frank Rollstone, <laughs> Executive Director for the National Trust of the Cayman Islands. Good afternoon, Frank. Good afternoon. How you doing? Fabulous. Busy day. <laughs> Busy yeah. day, but good day. Yep. All right, so, Frank, You've done all sorts of bits and bobs. You've been in Cayman for a long time. You've born and raised here? Yes. Right? Born and raised. So you've, you've seen this island change. So tell us a bit about yourself. How did you end up working as Executive Director for National Trust? And how have you seen the island change over the years in terms of our uh, species, I guess? Well, that's a lot of stuff for one question. <laughs> for one question, but I'll see what I can do. Okay, number one. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, um, I was, I've been in the private sector my whole life. Uh, working primarily in the alcoholic beverage and food distribution businesses. Um, I did take a break from that career uh, back in 2004 when I took on the role as general manager of the National Trust mm. uh, one week exactly before Hurricane Ivan. Oh God. So you can imagine <laughs> what that was like. Uh, anyhow, I stayed there for another four and a half years uh -huh. and then I eventually um, um, returned in just September of last year. Mm. So even though I'm, my role has been primarily in the private sector business management, uh, the role as executive director actually includes a lot of business management, which mm. is good. But coupled with that is um, my passion for everything Cayman that I've had since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So my, par my father specifically made sure that we had a boat from the time we could walk, mm. I think of some sort and so I grew up with a real respect for the ocean you know initially mm -hmm. and then I eventually turned my interest to exploring the, the terrestrial environments of Cayman mm -hmm. and through that exploration I realized that the historic and environmental aspects of Cayman are inextricably linked okay. so basically I ended up with a, a love for everything about Cayman's history and environment you know so kind of a wide subject Mm -hmm. So, as my grandfather always said, um, jack of all trades, master of none. But and I get that as well. I get that all the time. <laughs> but yeah, so I, um, I, you know, I have my own specific little interests. I've always been really in interested in orchids, for example. Mm. Um, but I also, um, you know, very aware of of the biodiversity of the Cayman Islands and all three islands. So. Mm -hmm. Was there another part of that question? Well, no. How have you seen it change since you were younger? Has it has it changed a lot from then to now? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, I grew up in what is now the immigration headquarters in Georgetown. Oh my days! Um, when I grew up, we were lived, that was a Marl Road, <laughs> and it was um, a, a really cool neighborhood. We, you know, no one had a lot, but we all oh. had what we needed. And yeah. So we sort of grew up, um, you know, respecting each other and having mm. a. You know, uh, we had a nice community, and I think mm. that's one of the things that's really changed. Actually, is that 
a lot of what used to be community is now just um, you know there's no not really a lot of community anymore in my mm. mind. And community and environment are also linked, right? Yeah, of course. And I I take places like Hutland and Northside, which I still consider to be one of the last real communities in Cayman where people actually live together and they all know each other and they all <laughs> yeah. look out for each other and yeah. everything. So, and we, um, I guess I shouldn't re really say that that's the only one, but that's one that pops to mind when I think of community. Mm -hmm. So, biodiversity, what exactly does that term mean? I'm not going to give you a scientific term yeah. because I'm not a scientist, mm -hmm. but biodiversity means to me, uh, you can look at it two ways, it's the measure of the number of species that are in our environment, mm -hmm. uh, and you can look at it on a macro level, and you can look at it on, on a very micro level, so there are probably, I don't know, 700 and something species of plants mm -hmm. in the Cayman Islands alone, it might be more than that, mm -hmm. I don't even know, but and we continue to discover, believe it or not, new records of plants that are that have somehow been overlooked mm -hmm. um, over the centuries. And then you can look at biodiversity from a really, really micro level and you take something like the blue-throated anole on Grand Cayman, mm -hmm. which has which is an endemic species, so it's found nowhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. And you have a Georgetown variety which looks one way, and then you have an Eastern District variety that looks another way. So right on the same island. We have two lizards that are the same species, but they look completely different. So, cool. so, and that's what I think really piques my interest is when we have the things which are really unique yeah. and different and just don't make, sometimes they just don't make scientific sense. No, that's the coolest thing about adaption of species and, and, and that can happen, that can't happen without biodiversity, without pressures, right? In oh the yeah, environment. no, they all, I mean, the, everything is, again, inextricably linked. So, mm -hmm. you know, you remove one thing and you end up messing up everything else mm -hmm. so and that's true of the marine environment as well mm -hmm. well that's kind of my next question um how is biodiversity loss affecting Cayman here and now currently um i think that we to really understand biodiversity loss in Cayman we have to go back to the 1600s mm -hmm. when the first people actually came here um and between the 1600s and the early 1700s these islands were I don't know if decimated would be the right word, mm. but they were lar very highly exploited, mm. um, primarily for hardwood, which was, mm -hmm. they said it was mahogany, but it was probably a lot more than that that mm. was exported for the furniture trade in the UK via Jamaica. Mm. And so the first people who came here were actually came here as, as um, lumberjacks, I guess you could <laughs> call them, woodcutters. Oh, really? um, yeah, and they pretty much cut, they did a really good job of cutting out almost all of the natural forest on all three islands oh. in a very short span of time. Mm. Of course, once you remove that forest, then you have land which becomes arable, mm. and so they started farming. And mm. so, but if you look at the original land grants that were given in this early 1700s, they were all given primarily to cut mm -hmm. mahogany, but mm -hmm. I'm sure there was more than mahogany that was done. So that biodiversity change occurred very early on in the process. Yeah, okay. But the same, it's being, was done then for the same reason that it is now exploitation of resources. So people are taking a natural environment and destroying it for the benefit of, financial benefit usually of some, somebody. So mm -hmm. and, and that's still happening because we're still developing at a crazy rate. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I, I, in, I've been in business so I understand business. Mm. Um, and I understand the, the pressures, mm -hmm. but I also understand that we have to leave space 
for if we, if we want to have any kind of identity at all as, mm-hmm. a, as a country or as a people or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. we have to we have to leave some of the stuff that we found when we came here um, and leave space for them and le- let them be able to survive mm-hmm. because they are whether we like it or not in some way mm-hmm. whether we appreciate it or understand it is a different thing but mm-hmm. all those things play a role in our well-being mm-hmm. um, and, and again that can be applied to both the marine and the terrestrial mm-hmm. environment. So what are, you just mentioned one development, some of the drivers of biodiversity loss. So for instance, the Cayman parrots, they were really, they were pretty endangered I think for a while, right? We've had a pretty good success story bringing them back. Yeah, and the whistling duck is another great success story. So what was the driver of that? Was that development or? Of the destruction? Yeah. Well, the parrots I think was agricultural. Was it? Okay. Yeah, because they um, they can be, for particularly for people who have mango trees, mm. this time of year they're enemy number one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I think that was probably a, a big part of it. I don't think necessarily it was development. I think that hurricane damage of nesting trees and stuff is also a huge factor because they have to have uh, a good tree that is hollow to nest in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if they can't find a suitable habitat to raise young, the success rate is probably going to be no, reduced as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things that can really make big changes in biodiversity that we we don't. I don't think we'll ever fully understand. I know. I know invasive species. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> another topic. <laughs> We're definitely dealing with invasive species right now, right, and their effects on. And we've had them. We've had invasive species again since the 1600s, mm-hmm. starting with rats, which are not native, mm-hmm. and rats are blamed for the eradication of all of our native mammals, other than the bats. Really? So, or most of them anyway. We used to have the little copromis and the little geocopromis and all these little other things running around which don't exist I don't know what they look like. Yeah, so the, the biodiversity loss, like I said, started a long time ago. It's not something which is just recent. It's been around for a long time. We had hootias, which I don't think we could blame on rats. I'm not <laughs> sure what led to their demise. I'm going to assume humans. Mm-hmm. And of course, two, cro- two crocodiles, mm-hmm. uh, saltwater and freshwater crocodiles, which were all led to extinction as well. So, uh, don't forget, man is the number one invasive species mm-hmm. here, so. I know, I try not to think about that as I fall asleep every night, <laughs> I'm a bit depressed. Um, because apparently there was no one here until we came along, so. Oh, dearie, dearie. And what about local, so you're an orchid man, what, what, if, we, what if we got flower tree-wise in, in terms of biodiversity and maybe loss in that? Because I know we have some pretty, pretty beautiful orchids here. Yeah, we have our, in bloom now is our um, national flower, obviously, mm-hmm. which is the wild banana, mm-hmm. Myrmecophila, uh, Thomsoniana. Um, and that still, thankfully, is reasonably common, even though it is suffering from the effects of um, invasive scale insects, which have been introduced into the, um, into the forest, which are taking a big toll on them, which is really Yay. unfortunate. Um, but thankfully, when I was, uh, when I did my little walk the other day, I was quite pleased to see that in the Botanic Park, for example, walking the trail now, you can still see our wild banana orchid in bloom. Um, Dendrophylax fossatii, which is an endem- another endemic orchid species, has been pretty much eliminated from Georgetown, other than a small mm-hmm. area of behind the community college. And But thankfully there is, in one of the National Trust Reserves, we have a, an area that they can still be found in relatively decent abundance. And then we have my favorite and my obsession is in sickly king's eye which is yeah. used to be on all three islands and now the only living examples are found in little Cayman. and that's a beautiful little orchid which is also in bloom now 
and we have some incredible orchid forests. I was, I had, I was working with somebody, and she was an avid orchid lady. She just loved her orchids. Oh, hello, if you can hear me. Um, but she, she was telling me about the illegal orchid trade that we had here. This is completely off subject. But have you heard about that? Um, well, I know that, for example, in the BRAC, um, there was an industry of exporting orchids prior to regulation. Oh my gosh. Uh, so I couldn't say that that would have been an illegal thing, but yeah. without a doubt, it probably led to reduction in a huge yeah. number of orchids in that environment. Um, there is probably an illegal trade in all kinds of things yeah. from this island. Yeah. People who don't get caught. I remember uh, people getting caught with um, suitcases full of snakes and lizards and stuff which were they were taken away for the animal trade so it's not um it's not just not just plants it's uh, people will take anything and and the funny thing is you take something like the blue iguana yeah and there's a huge international demand for those types of animals especially from people who have a lot of money mm, and they mm -hmm. will pay very good money for for these to have these things as pets yeah uh, we have to be really really careful because Things like that can be eradicated very quickly if we if we don't keep an eye on them. So there's an incredible amount of drivers for biodiversity loss, essentially. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and primarily human based. And primarily, <laughs> what are some natural ones? I can't even. Hurricanes. Hurricanes. I mean, hurricanes do without a doubt wiped out huge numbers of yeah. orchids, in, for example, in, yeah. the, in the environment. So just so natural um, events, natural disasters. Yeah, I think there's 26 species of orchids, and there's probably about 10 of them that I don't think exist anymore, and that was primarily due to. Hurricane Ivan. Whoa. But with a with a caveat because um, the human altering of the environment probably resulted in the hurricane doing things that it wouldn't have done a hundred or two hundred years ago. Yep. And that could have easily led to those extirpations. True. Interesting. So. Oh, golly. Okay, okay. <laughs> so let's get a bit more positive. <laughs> initiatives are currently underway right now in Cayman to encourage species recovery. So we've talked a lot about it being gone, but we have a lot of amazing stuff that's happening online to bring them back and to keep them going, right? Well, obviously the big one would be the Blue Iguana Project, yeah. um, which right now in our office, as you probably know, we have uh, incubators with uh, eggs being brought in almost every day from the Blue Iguana facility. Mm. Um, and we get a, we have a very much higher success rate when we care for the eggs in the incubators mm. and then we can raise those iguanas uh, uh, for two or three one you know two two or three years mm -hmm. until they get big enough that they're no longer as vulnerable to predation mm. by uh, our local snake and also our introduced invasive feral cats and mm -hmm. stuff like that so we do um, it's a very expensive program to operate because it means that we have to keep these animals confined and then we have to feed them mm -hmm. and care for them um, but there's not a lot of choice because, um, you know, the alternative is to just see it go to extinction. And to me, that's not an option. It's not an option. No. So that would probably be one of the big success stories mm -hmm. in terms of species con conservation. But let's not forget that our marine park laws, mm -hmm. uh, which Mrs. Gina Ebanks Petrie has taken a huge amount of flack for, mm. um, those marine, mar marine laws and marine parks make it possible that we can still go out and practice traditional historic practices like getting conks, mm -hmm. lobsters, and fish because if they had not, without her foresight and others, many years ago, those things would have probably been wiped out in our natural environment for yeah. sure.
And people still continue to break the law. Mm -hmm. um, but at least we have some level of protection that allows my children and my grandchildren, hopefully, to be able to go out and do the things that I did as a kid, like go out snorkeling and get conks, and mm -hmm. I make a really mean marinated conk. <laughs> And you want to pass that down, right? <laughs> of course. Yeah, and you should. <clears throat> what about um, bats? Uh, were those ever endangered here in Cayman? I know you. We National Trust does a lot for bats. Yeah, it's a funny thing because um, many years ago we had a the, the bat lady, Lois Blumenthal, who mm -hmm. had a very keen interest in bats, and she did a really great program, and we became sort of the bat capital of the. <laughs> Caribbean in terms oh, really? of knowledge and, and oh, care and everything quite remarkable one person can make a huge difference yeah. so don't yeah. ever think that it, right, that one person can't make a difference mm. she made a huge difference and uh, we carry on her programs today with bat houses and stuff um, but we don't there's not a lot of research right now and again I think potentially her things like Hurricane Ivan may have eliminated bats from the ecosystem yeah. and I'm not sure how many of the, I think it's nine species of bats. Mm. Not sure how many of them still exist in mm. nature. Yeah. Thankfully, I still see the large fruit bats in my yard in Georgetown, mm -hmm. and I leave my papayas on the tree for them to have. Oh. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if some of the other more. Uh, we we have a pollinating bat, for example, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if that still exists. Um, we probably have to get someone to come in and, and figure out that for us. Or mm -hmm get somebody to get a grant to try to figure it out. <laughs> Bring some help in. Um, <clears throat> we also have obviously our turtles. Um, that's also a massive system. We have so many species recovery stories here. For such a small island, it's actually quite... Yeah, and you take turtle now. I mean, you couldn't get much more historic Right, exactly. So, yeah. And, and you, know, it, you know, it's sad because we did have to, for, and sad for some people, that we had to give up the practice of actually turtling. Yeah. Um, but... I don't think there's anyone who could sit back and say, you know, that it hasn't been successful yeah. in the amount of turtles that are now developing and maturing to the age that they can actually come back and nest. Yeah. And really great thing for me to see is the fact that some of the ones that were released by the turtle farm mm -hmm. tagged are now returning to these beaches to, to lay and stuff. I think that's just incredible. Mm -hmm. And I think again, it, you know, another maligned organization is the Turtle Center, but mm -hmm. um, I think it's kind of shown that we can have a little bit of history and environment in the same bag. Uh, people can still enjoy eating a traditional dish, mm -hmm. and yet the farm can also raise turtles to an age where they can then be released and have a, a better chance of survival. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I think I think the link between somebody's culture and heritage and their environment is sometimes so lost. I said I've said it before on this podcast, but that's I feel like we kind of get so wrapped up in social media and phones and life and 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 distractions that we forget how connected and how much our heritage is connected to the land and to the ocean. Oh yeah, I mean, look at the little lowly thatched tree. Yeah, it's an endemic palm. It's found nowhere else in the world, and you and and it provided the shelter for every home mm -hmm. for probably hundreds of years in in Cayman. And a, a, a business of making rope and mm -hmm. weaving and baskets and everything. Mm -hmm. I think my sister still goes out and teaches um, thatching. Brilliant. Um, and so that is, again, another historic and environmental mm -hmm. connection, connection that I think gets lost. I think people have this thing that they believe that history and environment are two different things. Mm -hmm. Well, they are sometimes, but a lot of times they're just this, pretty much the same thing. We yeah. Just, we need to make sure that we don't let one outbalance the other, I think. 
<clears throat> right. What do you think is a, like the key to a successful species recovery program? Well, my personal opinion <laughs> is that everything needs a home. Mm -hmm. So there's no point in us recovering blue iguanas if mm -hmm. they don't have a place to live. To go. Mm -hmm. So we've been trying to expand the ownership of our properties out east specifically mm -hmm. to give these animals a, a chance of survival in the wild. Um, this isn't an animal that we intend to have as some type of poster child that we keep in a cage for people to look at. Um, this is, we need to have them in the wild, they need to survive in the wild and in order to do that, I'm sorry, but we have, they have to have space too. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the key to all of it because when we make space for the iguanas mm -hmm. out east, we're making space for a lot more than iguanas. Mm -hmm. the, all, all the of, biodiversity, uh, man. All of the biodiversity, the plants, mm -hmm. the, the insects, the, the reptiles, I mean mm -hmm. you name it, it's all, it's all part of the same thing. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, mm -hmm. Um, species recovery cannot exist without a place for them to, to live. And that's what's actually the most under threat in humanities because every time you turn around, somebody's building something and they clear, clear it flat and then they, you know, and that, there goes all the biodiversity and then it takes a very long time to ever recover that once it's done. Well, that's quite literally was my next question is how is the ever increasing development affecting biodiversity and I mean... Yeah, I think um, we could all do a better job of um, of even like preserving some of the vegetation, for example, that exists mm -hmm. on properties. If somebody goes to build a house, and the first thing they do is they clear the thing, the lot completely flat. Then they build a house, and then they expect to bring in all these plants from elsewhere to landscape, mm -hmm. which require more water than our native species. Not only that, but we run the risk of importing. Uh, invasive species through the importation of plants from other countries yep, yep. Um, and we'd have, I think we'd have been better off or people would have been better off they left one or two trees when they were building yeah. building the house you know yeah. you wouldn't have to replace at a great cost you wouldn't have to maintain it yeah, exactly. and again these things are quite susceptible sometimes to diseases and insects that our plants here have been accustomed to for yeah. uh, you know for their as long as this island has been around true so that's a lot of waste of money if you bring in a massive palm tree that just dies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have some invasive, I think they're called Washingtonia palms here now. Okay. They're all over the place. And oh. they, they're not native and, uh, you know, they, they are doing very well here and they're very pretty. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, we don't know, we don't know what impact that would have on, on anything because it's, it's not something that's really supposed to be here. So, but I guess my point is, is mm -hmm. that I, I, I don't think that in my position at the National Trust, that I could sit behind the desk and say, absolutely no, you cannot build a house and absolutely no, you cannot build apartments. But I do believe we can do a better job of development, development of anything. And I'm not just talking about, mm -hmm. you know, big hotels and stuff like that. Anything, somebody building a house, mm -hmm. somebody building a, anything, you, you leave something yes. that's natural there. Yeah. So, so somebody building a road, like the East-West Arterial Road, maybe? <laughs> um, how do you think that the East-West Arterial might affect species recovery? Um, I think that is part of the reason that the Trust has been asking for this environmental impact statement. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think that any of us have the knowledge to know what impacts that road will have. It's mm -hmm. a huge road, it's a huge project. Um, but that environmental impact assessment 
uh, doesn't really talk about just the environment of nature that it, it affects because it also affects people who live in the area mm -hmm. um, and other things which need to be addressed. Drainage is mm -hmm. would be a primary concern. I mean, have we thought about, has anybody asked the question where the fill is going to come from to put this road in? Because I'm going to assume that it's going to be a 50-foot hole mm -hmm. of very large magnitude somewhere in that direction that will have to be quarried to provide the fill. Because, of course, the other question is, how are we going to build the road? Mm -hmm. Are we going to do it the way that we've done it for the last 200 years? Or are we just push this stuff down and, and then put tower on the top of it? Or are we actually going to put drainage, mm. account for drainage in it and, and stuff like that? And it you being know? in the central mangrove wetlands, drainage is, I think, pretty crucial, no? Well, I mean, primarily most of the places where this road is going is either at sea level or below sea level. Oh. <laughs> so you, th there's no way that you're going to build a road there without elevating it. Yeah, right. So the question becomes, how do you, how do you elevate it? What method are you going to use mm. to elevate it? Um, you know, and you know, we talk about a, a whole lot of things to do with that road, but it has much wider impacts than just building a road. We, mm -hmm. This isn't just building a road. Mm -hmm. This is somebody is going to have to provide the stuff to fill in for mm -hmm. that road. If, and, and I know that's how it's going to be done. Because like I said, that's what we've done for uh, 200 years, the same method. Um, so, you know, it, maybe the environmental impact statement would come out and say, well, the best way to do it is this way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe an elevated long bridge of some sort, and, mm -hmm. and if not the whole thing sections of it. But no, it's much easier for us just to push it in and mm -hmm. create a huge dam mm -hmm. so that when the water, we get a good heavy torrential rain in October and November, we end up with having a massive lake accumulating on, on, the, on the south side of that road. And that's surely going to impact the species in the mangroves. Oh, a little impact more than that. Yeah. So, and again, I think that we kind of miss the point if we think that this is just an environmental issue. It yeah, really yeah, is yeah. much more than mm -hmm. that because mm -hmm. We're talking about an environment. Humans live in an environment. The mm -hmm. environment, whether we're invasive or not, mm -hmm. we still live in the environment. Mm -hmm. So this isn't about protecting a mangrove and protecting mm -hmm. um, parrots and snails and mm -hmm. various other things. There's mm -hmm. more to more this to than that. that. Um, and I think that's. I think we're getting pushed in a direction where it's sort of like, well, it's just these environmentalist radicals that are okay. pushing to stop this road. That's how it feels. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel sometimes. But unfortunately, I don't think that the I don't I don't know why the, the other people haven't been concerned about the other aspects mm. of the road. Mm -hmm. So if it's only the environmental radicals that are mm. that are opening their mouth, then maybe it's time some other people start to wake up and say, Zoom well, out "Wait a, a minute, more than yeah," because yeah. this isn't just like I said. This isn't just about parrots and mangroves. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. it's a much bigger issue than that. The other issue, of course, is who's going to pay for it and whose which generation is going to be saddled with the debt of paying for it because that is not going to be a cheap undertaking mm -hmm. and part of this study would be to, to say to us yeah this is what it's going to cost mm -hmm. to actually do this road mm -hmm. because we can sit here and pretend that mm -hmm. God is going to pay for this road <laughs> and he may be the only one left around to pay to for do it that. <laughs> yeah. but we are going to pay for it Maybe not me so much, yeah. but my children, their children. Yeah, in multiple you, different your ways. Children, I know. Absolutely. In multiple different ways, environmental ways, community ways. 
you know, sustainability, yeah. it's just sustainability. And that's not even taking into consideration, like I said, the impact that the noise, the flooding and other things may impact the people who live right. near to that yeah. corridor. Yeah. Because we saw with the Bodentown bypass, which I don't know how that could be called a bypass, but anyway. <laughs> when that was built, they blocked the natural drainage and then everyone in Bodentown started flooding. And they were rushing around putting in drains and stuff to try to stop yeah. the flooding, but they probably could have alleviated that issue if it had been built properly in the first place. But yeah. Anyway. But there you, there you go. You're like, but I could talk about this all day. <laughs> so how can people get involved with keeping our species safe and helping them to recover? I mean, they don't have to be environmental. <laughs> You know, activists are crazy. What what, what would you just call them? Environmental? <laughs> Eco. I, I would call it a lot of things. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Probably you know. shouldn't repeat very many of them. But <laughs> they don't have to be like that. But what do you think people can can do, and maybe even in their own backyards? Like you mentioned, the trees and just keeping more native vegetation. Well, I think, no, well, number one, let's start with plants. I mean, that's the easy one. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of beautiful plants that are natural and native that mm -hmm. could be, people can use in their existing landscaping. Mm -hmm. um, of course, because it's probably easier and cheaper to bring in container loads of plants from Florida, mm -hmm. you know, that we bring in all that. We, I hate, it just bugs me to see these little cocoa plum trees that they bring from <laughs> Florida. I want to pull every single one of them up <laughs> because I am used to a nice big cocoa plum and these right. things are, little, I would call them, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it or not, a bastard okay. cocoa plum is what it <laughs> okay. is which is a common local name for things which are not what they look like. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, things like that. I mean, we could. why aren't we using our native cocoa plum in mm -hmm. landscaping? Why aren't we using our native plants in landscaping? Bringing in something else mm -hmm. from elsewhere that is similar. Mm -hmm. So why can't we use what we already have? That's, that really bugs me. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be the plant side of things. And then the other side of things, I think obviously responsible pet management is is big on the list as well. I mean, if I, my dog, if I allowed my dog to roam around in the neighborhood, he'd probably kill more than just animals. <laughs> you know, I keep him in a fenced in yeah. area and yeah. I take very good care of him. Yeah. And he's a very sweet dog. Yeah. But he doesn't belong in somebody else's property. Yeah. So what yeah. would, what gives anyone else the right for their animals to come into my yeah. property? And cats, room? right? Catios, having catios, don't just let cat roam. Yeah, it, I mean, like I said, responsible pet management. I think people grossly underestimate it, how yeah. valuable that mm -hmm. is. Because to me, a pet mm -hmm. is something that you love and care for. Mm -hmm. um, if someone is telling me that a pet is something that you feed, mm -hmm. then God help us all. Because, mm -hmm. you know, the cat roams around and gets hit by a car and some mm -hmm. of that's, that's a an acceptable mm -mm. thing. Uh, anyway, I probably shouldn't talk about this. No, it's okay. cause a lot of controversy on your show. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> these are your opinions, sir. These are your... <laughs> I might, we'd have to add some of these are my personal opinions. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so those are two of kind of main ways people can help and get involved. Yeah, two things. Yeah, there's yeah. lots more than that. I mean, yeah. you can get involved in, in being active yeah. and taking an interest in these yeah. things. A lot of people don't take an interest in anything until it affects them. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they don't look at the wider picture. The trees that are being cut down are providing the oxygen for us to breathe. <laughs> if that isn't incentive enough yeah. to look after them, then again, yeah. you know, we need to, people need to really look at the bigger picture and, yeah. and get involved in stuff before it impacts them. And then something impacts them and they go, well, we'll call the National Trust. 
the National Trust is supposed to be dealing with this, and the National Trust is probably one of the smallest mm -hmm. organizations in the Cayman Islands, and we don't have the we don't have the manpower and resources mm -hmm. to to do everything. It would be nice if we did, but. Oh, well, do you have a last message to anybody listening of what they could do with our species? Uh, well, I want to say, first of all, I want to acknowledge that you as a young person really making an effort to make a difference in your community is a mm. huge thing. So mm. I applaud you. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that that is, you know, I know a lot of young people who are, who've had the opportunity to go overseas and study and, and, and those who've studied here and those who just take an interest in their future, mm -hmm. they are now becoming involved. Mm -hmm. And don't let people put you off mm -hmm. and call you names and stuff because really we're talking about your future. My future here now is getting more limited every day. Oh God. <laughs> you hopefully have a much longer future than I do. You're the people, you're the mm -hmm. generation now that's really got to step up and say, this is what we want for mm -hmm. our country. I agree. And I believe, oh, I'm not going to say that, that's political. Okay. But, that but yeah, that's, I, I think young people mm -hmm. need to take an interest and they need to get up and, and get active and Fight for what decide they want. what they want this mm -hmm. country to be. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So. Cool. Thanks that would so be my parting much. words. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today. You know, we can't help have a healthy, thriving environment or community or culture or anything without keeping the balance, right? Yep. And keeping the biodiversity in every aspect. Biodiversity in the way you think, the biodiversity in the environment, you know, and, yep. and everything. I, 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 like I said, I couldn't imagine anywhere else in the world that I would rather live. Mm. So why wouldn't I take an interest in, in what's around me? Oh, thanks so much so, for coming in, Frank. We really appreciate pleasure. it. My pleasure. And thanks for giving us your views. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you to DMS Broadcasting and Bobo 89.1 and my pal Ryan Kirkaldi from Retrospect Media for capturing all of this. A uh, big thank you to Sustainable K-Man for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Sustainable K-Man is a not-for-profit organization promoting conservation and environmental sustainability to create a flourishing natural environment and healthy communities. And you can follow them on Instagram at Sustainable KY and at Facebook at Sustainable.KMan. Also, make sure to check out their Facebook group, Wetlands Thrive, Life Survives. And make sure you check out our other filmed episodes. They're over on YouTube, and they should be pretty easy to find. Um, also, make sure you check us out at Protecting Paradise KY. And remember, you cannot care about these things unless you know about these things. So thanks for joining us today. And remember, we are always open to your opinions and your topic suggestions, so don't be shy. And we'll see you next week. Ta-da!